you. Uh, it's wonderful to be with you on this uh, fourth day uh, of the season of Advent, fourth week of the season of Advent, uh, which means, uh, kids, uh, we are getting pretty close to Christmas, uh, less than a week away. Uh, I know my children are super excited. I am super excited. And, uh, of course, Advent is a season of, of waiting. It's a season of anticipation. And we all know that that anticipation is about to come to fruition, right? And we've been waiting for these four long weeks and just days now. It'll be my birthday. I mean, sorry, it'll be Christmas. It'll be Christmas. Uh, and we will celebrate the coming uh, of our Lord and Savior. But uh, I dare you to find somebody in Scripture, even Mary herself, who waited longer than Simeon. Simeon is, is the person we read about this morning uh, in Luke chapter 2. And Simeon uh, is an old man at this point and, and probably can, can barely see and is, is walking around the temple grounds. And he has been told that he will see the Lord's Christ, which is to say the Lord's Messiah. He will see... Jesus, at some point before he dies, and he's been waiting and waiting and waiting, and this morning we read the story of when that promise finally comes to fruition, and that is what we wish to talk about this morning. Let's begin, however, in a word of prayer. God, our Father in heaven, this morning... Uh, we come in, in anticipation of your presence. Yes, on Christmas morning, but here, uh, in this place, we expect your presence here. We expect to meet the Holy Spirit in this place. God, we desperately ask for it because we desperately need it. I pray this morning, Lord, that you use my words as I reflect upon your words that you write in Scripture. And I pray, Lord, that those words would be heard in a way that will pierce the hearts and the souls of those in this room and who are listening online this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Uh, I want to start with a kind of a slow read of Luke 2. Just a deep dive into what's happening in uh, this story of Simeon. And it begins this way. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was a righteous and devout man. Perhaps you know somebody in your life who is righteous and devout, who has spent their life seeking after God. Maybe that's the person you draw into your mind right now. This, this is who Simeon is, and he's coming to the end of his life, and he uh, has lived his, his life well, and he is waiting and what is he waiting for? He's waiting for the consolation 
of Israel, which to you might sound strange, the consolation of Israel. This word consolation is, is sometimes uh, the, the comforting uh, of Israel. This might recall in your mind some famous passages, particularly from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. The Lord cries out, Comfort, O comfort my people, Israel. Console, console them, is what God is saying. And Simeon here is waiting on this moment. He's waiting on that Isaiah 40 moment when Israel will be consoled. And it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. His name, Simeon, uh, comes from uh, one of the, the 12 tribes, right? Uh, I don't know if you recall the story back in Genesis chapter 29. It's, uh, it's where Leah is the, the how shall we say, uh, the not favorite wife of Jacob, right? And she too is consoled. And she's consoled uh, with a child. And she names this child Simeon. Simeon, because God has heard. And that's what his name means. His name, Simeon, means he has heard. And in this case, it turns out that both God has heard and Simeon himself has heard. As we'll find out as the story progresses, that, that Simeon has, has received some kind of revelation in his life. He knows to be expecting, expecting the Messiah to come. And he's keeping watch for him. And so Simeon has heard, and God has heard. And perhaps the question this morning is, have we heard? Verse 26 continues, it says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And here, if you're not familiar with the churchy language of Lord's Christ, that, that might sound funny to you. If you're used to Christ being a name, the name of Jesus, well then it might be weird to say the Lord's Christ. And here clearly Christ is a title, right? It's the Messiah, God's Messiah, God's anointed one, God's king. This is what Israel's waiting for. This is what Simeon himself is waiting for. Verse 27, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, but before we get to what he says, I love this image. Perhaps more than anything else in this story, I love this, this image of an old man at the end of his life, picking up a baby who is eight days old. And there in one image, you have the beginning of life and the end of life sitting there. And you have the one who will redeem the world in a baby. And you have the one who has been waiting on the redemption of the world and is old and frail and says, it's about time. I have felt like Simeon many times. 
He takes up the baby, it says, and he blessed God. If you recall, and you were listening to the sermons, and you remembered something, we, there was another passage that talked about Zechariah blessing God. And I said, this seems like an odd phrase, to bless God. God blesses us, yes, but, but here again, it's a blessing of God. And I'll submit to you that what I said a couple weeks ago, turns out it's true again. Uh, it's nice when that happens. Uh, and when you bless God, what you're really doing is you're recognizing the blessings that God has given to us. And you're returning thanks. And you're returning praise. And this is exactly, exactly what Simeon is doing here. He's recognizing the blessing that God has given to him personally and then to Israel and to the nations corporately. And this is what he says. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. This verse doesn't quite capture the nature of the relationship that Simeon sees himself in with God. Lord, he says, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. And perhaps the word servant might get us close to it, but we've probably heard this word servant so many times in the context of Scripture that you let it wash over you. I know I did. But this word Lord, it's not your typical Lord usage. It's actually the word despot. That's, that's the Greek word, which means what you might think it means, which is, which is somebody who is a ruler over you. And servant, indeed, is servant. But more than that, more than that, there's a, there's a third word in here that suggests to us that the relationship that exists between Simeon and God in this moment is one of a servant serving his Lord or Master. And it says, Lord or Master, now you are letting me depart. And that's... A nice way of saying, loosen my bonds. Let, let me go. I have fulfilled my service to you. You've given me this job in life, and I have served you well all of these years, and it has come to fruition, and now is the time to let me go. And he says, in peace. Let me go in peace. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And here it is again. Jesus' name means what? The one who saves. I've said it a few times. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> His name means salvation. And here again, this person who is, who is speaking about Jesus, says, I have seen your salvation. Quite literally, I have seen the enfleshment of your salvation, God. That you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light 
for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Uh, Luke, more than any other gospel writer, he loves the book of Isaiah. Of course, he uh, alludes to and, and even quotes from other, other books in the Bible. But Isaiah just seems to come up over and over and over again. And I would submit to you that what we find here is allusions to Isaiah chapter 60. And I, I want to read this for you. I quite enjoy Isaiah 60. It's perhaps one of the more underrated passages in the book of Isaiah. There's a lot to, to rate, so this one often doesn't quite make the list, but it's a good one. It says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, a thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light. The Gentiles shall come to your light, is what it's saying. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. And here Isaiah has this vision of the whole world coming to Jerusalem. The whole world finding its way into the presence of God. And he says, Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, Israel. The wealth of the nations, the Gentiles, shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba, shall come. They shall bring, of all things, gold and frankincense. And they shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks shall be gathered to you. The rams shall minister to you. And they shall come up with acceptance on my altar. And I will beautify my beautiful house. I will beautify my beautiful house, says God. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands, the coastlands, they shall hope for me. The ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar. their silver and gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners, the nations, the Gentiles, shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. And your gates shall be open continually, day and night. They shall not be shut. This might start to sound a little bit like the New Jerusalem. That people may bring to you the wealth of the nations, with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. But the glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. 
The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall uh, bow down at your feet, and they shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. This is a hopeful message to a people in desperate need of hope. And here we have Simeon echoing some of this as she shouts out and he says that the presence of Jesus will be a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, to the nations, and for glory to the people of Israel. But then there's one last part, and the story goes on. And it says, and his father and mother, they marveled at what was being said about him. This is Jesus, what was said about Jesus. They marveled at it. And Simeon blessed them, and he he said to Mary specifically, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Bit of a strange end to it all, right? Kind of a a dark end, even. Mary's soul will be pierced, right? And there will be rising, but there will also be falling of men, many in Israel And there's going to be some hearts that need to be revealed. In order for all of this other stuff to happen, Simeon keeps in mind the end of the story for us. The piercing that really happens on the cross and the piercing of Mary's own soul. And that this is how the light to the revelation or the, the light for revelation to the gentiles is accomplished this is how the light for the glory of israel is accomplished this is how salvation is accomplished this is how consolation is accomplished through the piercing of the soul through the piercing of the christ there are a lot of themes in this passage Consolation, revelation, salvation, glorification, even crucifixion. And I want to hone in and really kind of get to the nub of one in particular that I think is important this morning. There's a lot we could take hold of. There are a lot of sermons that could be preached out of this. And I'm supposed to only preach one. This morning, it's not so much what Simeon says that I want to focus on. It's what happens to Simeon, or at least what he asks might happen to himself because of his encounter with Jesus. Simeon, as I've said, from what we can tell, is an old man near the end of his life. He's been waiting a long time to meet the Christ, to meet Jesus, It was revealed to him somewhere, somehow along the way, and he's been holding on to that hope for some time now. 
He's been waiting for the king of Jerusalem to come. And not just the king Herod, or, and certainly not Caesar Augustus, but the true king of Israel. And Luke tells us that Simeon was a righteous and devout man, but he's an old man, and he's likely waited a long time, perhaps even a lifetime. And though righteous... I'm sure that he had some doubt along the way. Did God really say that this was going to happen? Did I I just make that up? Am I a fool to believe that I'm going to see the Christ? I could see him saying this. And I could see him saying this because I could see me saying it. And I could see the people who I know who are religious and devout saying it as well. But Simeon, Simeon stays the course. And if there was doubt that crept in at some point, he managed to overcome it. And he kept waiting. And he kept serving God. It's easy to think of the life of a righteous and holy person as a singular trajectory upward toward more righteousness and more holiness. And sometimes, maybe it is. But all of our lives, if we're honest, have these ups and then these downs, and then these ups and and then these downs again. And I don't doubt that Simeon would have been immune to that. Somewhere along the way, however, Simeon made a pledge to God. Simeon likens himself to a servant, and God is his master. He chooses this life of servant. He chooses to serve God, and he puts himself in service of the king and is given one task, one purpose, that he will see the Christ before his death. Frankly, the fact that he's even recorded in our Bible is is remarkable, given how simple his task is. He doesn't need to do much. He just needs to keep looking, to keep waiting, and to keep the faith. But maybe that is much. Maybe that is a lot. Simeon's encounter with Jesus leaves him at peace. This is what he asks for, doesn't it? Isn't it? He he says, God, I have finished my work here. Let me depart in peace. He meets Jesus, and the result of his life's work is peace. He says, I am am made whole. I'm complete now. My life's work has been accomplished And more importantly, because I have been in the presence of the Holy One, Jesus, the Savior of the world, the light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel, my soul is made whole again. And my failures and my brokenness, and yes, even my sin has been washed away. And the very presence of Jesus allows me to walk in peace. I could see him saying all these things. You might think I'm over-dramatizing this, that I'm turning a, 
a Turner classic movie into a Hallmark movie. I want to submit to you two more stories that we find in Luke itself. Just a few chapters later in Luke 7, there's a woman, she's simply called a sinner, but those of us in the know know what kind of sinner she probably was. And she meets Jesus at a Pharisee's house, and she brings her perfume, probably from the uh, occupation that she holds. And she goes to Jesus' feet, and she washes them. And, And the Pharisee says to Jesus, if you were a prophet, you would know what kind of woman this is. That's what he says to her. You would know what kind of woman this is. And Jesus, he talks to the Pharisee a little bit. And then he finally, he turns to the woman. And he says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Right? This is what he says. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Go in peace, woman. Be made whole. The life that you lived before isn't a life of peace, but you are now offered one. Be forgiven. Live at peace with God and with your neighbors. Whatever brokenness you had experienced before, and no doubt this woman had experienced plenty, you are given the power through Jesus Christ to live differently, to live at peace. To be whole again. To be complete. Just a chapter later in Luke 8, there's another story. Another woman. This time, Jesus is on his way to, uh, to, to raise a little girl from the dead. And uh, as he's on his way to do this, uh, he feels... It says, power go out of him. This is a remarkable story. I I, I would love to know exactly what this means. uh, Because this woman has touched the hem of his garment. You know this story? Touched the hem of his garment. And the power comes out of Jesus. And he says, somebody's touched me. And and they figure out it's a hemorrhaging woman. She's bleeding. And has been most of her life. And, And Jesus heals her. And the, the hemorrhaging woman, just so we're clear, it's not just a medical issue. It's a cleanliness issue in this culture, which means she is shunned from family, from friends. She is quarantined, maybe even, from everybody she wishes to be with. And she is for most of her life, until this moment when she's healed. And the result is very interesting. See, Jesus turns to this as well, and he says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. If you didn't catch it in the previous story, he said to that woman too, your faith has done this. And to this hemorrhaging woman, your faith has done this. And boy, did Simeon He expressed a lot of faith, did he not? Throughout his whole life, he trusted that his master, the God of the universe, 
was telling him the truth and that he would see the Christ. And his encounter with Jesus is such that he asks to then what? To go in peace, to be made whole. The question we're always asking is what does this mean for me? (laughs) What does this mean for me and for you? Because I think it actually means quite a lot. I think this is what we do, or should do, every Sunday morning when we gather together. We should be encountering the presence of Jesus. And the mere presence of Jesus in our midst means that we, if momentarily, are made whole again, are made right again, are made complete again. If I have one beef with the New Testament, it's this. We only get snapshots of people like the the sinning woman who washes Jesus' feet or the hemorrhaging woman. We we don't get the rest of the story. We We don't get what happens next in her life because these two women are made whole. They are told to go in peace. But we don't know exactly what happens next. But I know what happens next with you and with me. Is that you are offered in this moment, I will conclude this service like I do every other one, and I will say, go in peace. And you can. And prayerfully, you will go in peace. But I know what happens during the next few days. Maybe it's just simply the car ride home. It's that peace, it fades, and it it goes away. Which, by the way, is my argument for why people should come to church more often than Christmas and Easter. We need this peace. We need to be here together to find Christ's peace. I don't doubt that God's peace can be found other places as well. You should be doing things like reading your scripture. It can be found there. Praying regularly. It can be found there. Maybe it's taking a walk in nature. I walk these woods just about at least every week, sometimes every day of the week. Because I think God's presence can be found there. Helping your neighbors. God's presence can be found there. There's lots of places God's presence can be found But there is something unique about the body of Christ that is the church and gathering together as a body of Christ that when we leave this place, we should leave it with a sense of wholeness, of completeness, that we've been put back together again. And next week we'll probably need to be put back together again. And the week after that, we'll probably need to be put back together again. And that's the nature of the Christian walk. Because if you remember, and if you don't, I forgive you, we said that we are walking paths of peace. We don't have the place of peace just yet. We don't have that new Jerusalem just yet, where we get to hang out in peace all the time. We have to walk these paths of peace And boy, it helps to have traveling companions, doesn't it? 
to keep us on that path. I think that's what the church is meant for. Let's pray together. O Prince of Peace, come this morning. Enter our souls. In those places that are fractured and broken within us, begin to heal them. Begin to pull them back together. Begin to make us one again. And Lord, perhaps the way that the church itself has been fractured, begin to heal that. Begin to make us one again. God, we desire to be a people of peace, walking in paths of peace, serving the Prince of Peace, and bringing this to the world who desperately needs peace. God, Lord, this morning, I pray that you move in our hearts in a new way, a different way, a way that requires us to act. And as we walk out those back doors, and as we go into the world, a world that is no doubt filled with darkness, chaos, and, and all of the things that might undo our peace. But Lord, in this moment, we go out with a peace that passes all understanding because it is from you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.